0: Right, we'll get stuck into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you go to First uh, Peter chapter 1. I don't know where that is, kind of towards the, the end of your Bible, essentially. Sort of just go to Revelation, go back a few pages, and you'll be there. Uh, and I want to talk today about... Um, being ready for action, that's kind of the title for this, is ready for action. So uh, most of you, some of you have heard, I had a fairly dramatic Monday this week. Okay, I did, I had, my, my Monday was dramatic. Uh, now, before, before it gets any further, I'm obviously up here preaching, so I'm fine. Okay, so don't, don't get too worried. But I was having some minor heart palpitations, like a few, over the last few weeks, uh, sort of very brief very occasional, Um, and of course, you know, I did the responsible thing and ignored it, right, which is what one does, you know, I don't go to the doctor, I just die like a cool person, okay, I'm not a nerd, right, who would go to a doctor, so, uh, Monday morning, I was making breakfast, and they started, but rather than being sort of like 10 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever, they were just going and going and going and wouldn't stop, and my heart rate was getting pretty high, and uh, so at some point, I was like, I should probably tell Danny about this, so, but 45 minutes in, I was like, yeah, Danny, look, uh, heart rate's a bit high here think I might need to go to hospital probably be okay but I should probably go and uh, that didn't go down that well to be honest you know she wasn't best pleased that I would not mentioned anything for a few weeks uh, but went into hospital I said look go bring Jack to school and you know I'll, I'm sure I'll be waiting here for a while per wee Jack by the way whenever Danny said uh, well, that I was going to hospital with my heart, he goes is daddy gonna have a heartbreak Oh, I know, I know. Danny was like, I'm pretty annoyed, but I'm not going to divorce him. Okay, so yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, I thought I'd be waiting a while because it was busy enough. You, you go into the emergency room and you say heart, and they're on it, right? They really are. So I was like top, top of the triage list, you know, and went through. And they were like, yeah, your heart rate's sort of 150, 160, straight through to the next, multiple doctors in immediately. And, you know, I sort of did the, you know, playing it down thing, trying to be cool. I was like, Joe, I think it's getting a wee bit better. And by the time we got through, they're like, no, you're like 170, 180 now. Like, you're definitely not good. So come with us. And they bring around a chair. And I'm like, okay, I can walk fine. I was like, get on the chair. And they wheel me into, I'm kidding you not, emergency department resuscitation, which is not a good sign. Okay, I've got to be honest. Not where, not where I wanted to be wheeled. Like, thankfully, when I got through, there was a doctor there who goes, look. First thing he says is, you're not going to die. I'm like, that is good news. I'm very pleased to hear that. I'm assuming that means ever, by the way. I'm assuming that is a promise of eternal life from this doctor. Um, But uh, he said, but your heart rate is very high. You've got atrial fibrillation. Your heart's going very high. We're not not happy to sort of leave it there. We're going to do something about it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you under for five minutes, give you a wee electric shock. Not the defibrillators, okay? Just a wee electric shock, resync the thing, and you'll be fine. So i give Danny a quick buzz. You know, and within, like, 15 minutes of being in hospital, this has all happened. At least I was, felt it was super quick, right? And uh, so go under, back in the room, all good. So uh, not looking for sympathy, okay? Why am I telling you this? Not for, I wouldn't mind some sympathy, to be honest. So a bit of sympathy would be fine. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Not looking for sympathy, though. Uh, Just thankful. Thankful, obviously, um, for good doctors. Thankful that we live close to hospital. Thankful that I've got a great sermon illustration that I'm going to use for at least a decade. Okay, I am, right? It's going to get more dramatic every time as well. Okay, well. um, But but I want to talk about being ready for action, because there are times when you have, like, these crises in life. There There was a moment there where I was like am I going to die? Genuinely, obviously you don't know. Like, I didn't think it was likely but you do start to ask that question when you're in that moment. And there are things like that which happen in life. There are moments of crisis and sometimes they're actual crisis. They're not just things that appear. There are things that are actually wrong that are actually very serious. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's nationally. All of these kind of things. And sometimes they're totally out of the blue. Sometimes they're they're things that have sort of been building up for a while, and, and most of us will have been there in one way or another, right? You've had some sort of crisis in life, you know, whether you've, uh, you've had one recently, about 10, 10 o'clock last night, there was a national crisis, okay, there was, but we will get through it together. And here's the thing, though, being a believer does not spare you from times of crisis, it just, it just doesn't, right? The Bible doesn't promise us this. Uh, of course, we believe in the power of God. and We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in you know, healing and restoration. Like, yes and amen. But at the same time, we're not spared trouble in life just because we're saved. That, that's not how this thing works. Jesus, in fact, promises us the opposite. In this life, you will have troubles. The psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. James says, uh, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. The Bible is clear. There will be times when things go wrong. There will be times when there are problems. And yes, the Christian life is an abundant life, but it is not necessarily a carefree life. It is not a carefree life. And I think this text helps us to get ready for that. So 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 13 to 16 says the following. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So so these verses, these are written to people in crisis. There's there's some debate over exactly when this uh, book was written and therefore when this passage was written. But broadly speaking, people assume it's under one of the significant periods of early church persecution. Probably under Emperor Nero, which you've heard of. Okay, So you've heard of Nero. He's the guy that burnt down the city of Rome, blamed on Christians. Terrible persecution against Christians broadly, but it may have been one of the other emperors. It doesn't really matter too much. And, and Peter is aware of this persecution and he writes a letter to a church in crisis. He writes it to them. What I think, by the way, is very encouraging just right off the start of this is that Peter is someone who went through crisis and actually failed. Like he did very poorly in one of his early crises, if you remember, like the, the, when he denied Jesus in, 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 the, uh, in, in the temple court or in, as Jesus was being tried. Um, he, 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 he went through a crisis. And yet now what we see later is that Peter is in fact being used by God to help other people through their crisis. And so if you've been there, I just want to say right before we get started, if you've been through a crisis and you've done poorly in it, do you know what? God can actually use that as well. God can turn that around. He doesn't just work through your successes. He works through your sins. And he does this with Peter here. So Peter is encouraging these saints as they are going through a time of crisis. And he kind of says three things to them. And we'll, we'll, we'll go through them reasonably quickly here. So the first one is this. He tells them to prepare their minds for action. He, prepare your minds for action. That's his first thing. Do you know when the worst time to get ready for a crisis is? during a crisis, right? That is the worst. You don't, you don't want to be preparing for a crisis in the middle of a crisis. That's a bad time to be getting ready for a crisis. There, there is no use in getting ready for a crisis as you're in the midst of it. You're, you're either ready or you're not. I don't know how many times you've been there where you've been through like some difficult situation and then after the fact you think, ah, this is what I should have done. Or someone says to you, this is what you should have done. You're like, Your face is about to have a crisis in a moment, okay? Like, that is no help at all at this point. If you want to get ready for a crisis, when do you get ready? You get ready before the crisis. You get prepared in advance. And that's what he says, preparing your minds for action. Your mind needs to be prepared for the fact that in life, you are going to go through a crisis at some point, one way or another. Don't don't know what it will look like, but it will look like something. There will be moments of crises. This is something, by the way, Men and women. women, just so you know, men are different than you, okay? I know you're, you're aware of this, and you're different to us. One of the things that you probably don't know, I, at least I assume other guys do this, whenever you're out in public, especially with a family, like with kids, any other guys here, you just scan for threats. Yes, you're just there, and you're like, right, I'm that person there. They look dodgy. We're crossing the road here. There's, all right, okay, there's an exit there. Whereas women, you're walking down the street and you're just going, making my way downtown. You know, like that's, that's that's. there's a difference there. Like men men are ready for action. I remember, not saying that we can do much, but we're at least mentally prepared for something. I was in, uh, we were in Bulgaria in the summer there, and we were at this outdoor cafe thing. And there was people there with a pit bull, Right, and the pit bull was being perfectly well-behaved and nice and calm, and was on a leash. But they were with a pit bull in this outdoor cafe, and and uh, that they, you know, bringing their just bringing their dog, they had it at the side, right? There wasn't like they were sort of roaming around. And uh, Jack was over, you know, I was there, and Jack was, you know, he's four years old, and was at that point just turned five, but he was four then, and he was playing, and uh, these were like play park toys that they had there, and I'd kid in there, and so I'm just sitting there like. Eyeing up this pit bull, just re- like I have a whole plan in my head for if this pit bull gets off the leash, I'm gonna go there. Right, how do you kill a pit bull? Like that's right. you write is. okay, right. i would probably not bear a chair, right? I could batter it. So that would be the you weren't expecting to hear that in church this morning, by the way. Okay, you weren't. But nonetheless, you're getting it. That's for free. And and in my mind, I'm just I'm just generating this anger towards this dog's existence, right? And I hear Danny say something like, What do you want to drink? It's like I want blood. That is what I want. I am ready at any moment. This is the thing, right? Guys, do this. We do this a bit. Okay, maybe not always to that level. Maybe that's why I had to go to hospital with a heart issue, okay? But nonetheless, nonetheless, we are ready for action. We kind of get ready for action. We are ready. We prep scenarios. If you're smart, you'll be prepped for certain scenarios. You You have a rainy day fund. You have an emergency fund, hopefully. You have... Thoughts in your mind as to what might happen. Right? Okay, you know, it's a fire in the house. Well, we've got the fire alarm. We've got these things. You're ready for action. Your mind is ready. Well, we should do this spiritually. This, this is not some strange thought. The, the Bible says your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to, uh, prowling around seeking to devour whomever he may. Well, are we ready to fight him? Are we ready to do something about that? Are we ready for those moments? Are we scanning for threats? Are we, are, do we have our minds up? Do, do, do you ever think, right, if this kind of thing happens, that would not be a good thing. How do I want to act? How do I want to respond? What do I want to do in those scenarios? What do I need to have sorted the wording actually here is is very interesting in First Peter. The King James actually has the most accurate wording in terms of like compared to the original language. And what it says is "gird up the loins of your mind." Which I, I "gird up the loins"? I didn't know my mind had loins. Amazing, right? What does that mean, right? There's a reason why we don't translate it that way. It's kind of a military idea of putting on a belt around your armor. It's like right, tighten the belt and like, get fastened up, everything strapped in so that you're ready for if anything happens. Like the, the modern equivalent would be like stay strapped, you know, like, like stay armed, be, be at DEFCON 1 in your mind, ready for action. It's a military term. And in the same way that soldiers would plan for battle, they're out in the battlefield, they're ready to go. They don't necessarily know what's happening. There might might be a surprise attack, might be an ambush. Maybe they get an opportunity, but they're ready. They're ready, they are prepared. And it's essential to do this. The Bible says that if you want to survive moments in crisis, moments of spiritual war, don't let that be the first time that you've ever thought about it. Don't let the middle of it be the first time that you've actually planned for this scenario. Don't wait until everything falls apart, until you start praying. Don't wait until you are are in some massive moment where you desperately need believers around you for that to be the first time that you chat to someone in church. You know, don't, don't let there be some massive theological issue and then that be the first time that you actually pick up your Bible to discover it and learn something. Like, be prepared, be ready, be in a state of readiness. We live in a spiritual war zone. That is what this life is. This is we are not in peacetimes, everybody. This is, not, this is not the era of peace. This is an era of war, and it was from the moment that Jesus arrived. It will be until the moment he returns. And we need to act accordingly. We need to be ready, because the enemy will use whatever he can to come in and attack your walk with God. I think part of the reason that the church did did quite poorly, I think. And, and I don't know if everyone will agree with, with this, but I, I think that not this church, but, but broadly, the church in the West, I think we did poorly during COVID. I think part of the reason for that was that we hadn't really thought about it in advance. We just hadn't thought, right, what will happen if the government says, right, you can't gather as a body, and it's originally three weeks, and then it gets extended and extended and extended and extended. And, wh- and what happens if... Right, the off licences are open, but the churches are shut. And if marching for certain organisations is considered to be acceptable, but having two hundred people in the room is a super spreader event, you know, like like it just hadn't crossed our mind. We just hadn't thought about this before. And I understand why we hadn't thought about it before, but actually, if we want to do better, we need to be prepared. You know, quite quite honestly, looking back at Monday, I know. It really isn't that dramatic, okay? But at the time, it felt slightly dramatic. And I was kind of going, how did I handle that? And I think I did okay. Like, I think I did okay. I genuinely do. I was, I was, I was sitting there. I was, like, fairly calm. I was like, right, I've got life insurance, so that's good, right? Okay, that helps. So the the house will get paid off. And, um, you know, I was trusting God, trusting God for health, trusting God for family. And I genuinely woke up from the anesthetic. And at least as far as I know, I was confessing scripture, okay? I was quite out of it. I could have been swearing profusely. But I don't think I was. Pretty sure in my head, I was confessing scripture. And uh, it wasn't close, but it felt close. And considering that, I think I did all right. And I think part of the reason why I, I did okay is I have actually thought about that before. Well, I genuinely, do not like I sit and meditate on my untimely demise regularly. But nonetheless, I've sort of gone, right, if something happens, like if there is a moment where it's like suddenly that's it, how do I want to walk through that? How, how do I want to behave in the midst of that? What do I want that to look like? Because none of us get to pick the time of our death. None of us get to, you know, you don't know what can happen. As The, the proverbial double-decker bus can hit you at any time, right? And, and you genuinely don't know. And so you actually have to be ready. And, and I, I think, you know, for me, it's like, well, do you know what? I've been in the presence of God. I really like the presence of God. the thing I enjoy most in the whole world. If I wake up and I'm in the presence of God, I'll be all right. And I'll trust God with everything else. I don't, I'm not in control of this thing. God is. I trust him. And so that is the number one point. If you want to get ready, uh, you want to be prepared for times of crisis, you've got to be prepared in your mind. All right, point number two, what does it say then? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And being sober-minded. So, so what's the opposite of sober, right? You're all being very Christian. I have no idea. Who knows? It never, never occurred to me to ask. The opposite of sober, right? It's drunk. Yes, okay. Not, 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 not advocating for it. That is the opposite. It's interesting, by the way, that, that both of these things, so being prepared in your mind and being sober-minded, Both of the, 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 the primary focus of both of these points is your mind. One of them is in advance and one of them is during, right? But it's in your mind, being sober-minded. What, what, why is a mind such a focus for a time of crisis? Well, I say this is because um, it's not like there, there's nothing practical you can do to get ready for a crisis. It's not like there's nothing practical you can do in a crisis. But if your mind is not right, if you're not thinking clearly, if you're not thinking in the right categories, if you haven't thought about things uh, in terms of priorities and so on, then, then all of the skills and all of the resources in the world, they will you'll use them wrongly. They, they actually won't help you. You will undermine them by thinking poorly in the moment. And God wants us to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Which basically means this. You've got to keep your emotions in check. Again, in a time of crisis, your emotions need to not be in charge. Your mind needs to be in charge. It needs to be a godly, sanctified mind, and you need to be able to follow a rational, actual plan that your mind has uh, thought through in advance. I think one of the big issues in the church, uh, broadly in the West, is that we've kind of gone gone into perhaps an overly emotional faith at times. I think as charismatics we, we can do this quite easily. We can get overly emotional. Now, emotions are great. God created your emotions. I in no way believe in some sort of stoic, dead, you know, passionless religion. That's, that's not what God has for us. But at the same time, if we only are driven by our emotions, then we're, there's a bunch of stuff that we're not going to do. We're not going to deal with the issues of the day because it's emotionally uncomfortable for, for, for other people and for us. We're just going to avoid that. We don't like that. We don't want to deal with that. We're not going to think clearly or deeply about you know, various challenges that come up against us. We're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to think about our priorities. We're going we're to d- default into sort of vague meetings and cliches and nice times where we just get warm fuzzies. Think, sing about heaven meeting earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Right? And, and, and that's all well and good. But in a time of crisis, you actually need something more. You need to be sober minded. I think our our whole world by the way is is geared towards like intoxicating our minds. I, I, I was thinking about this, you know, they talk about drugs being like uppers and downers, right? I I'm on I'm on Twitter, right? Which I sincerely regret but I also love it. Okay, I really do. Um, Twitter is like an upper. Tw- Twitter is something that it intoxicates your mind in that way it can do if you spend lots of time on it. For those who don't know what Twitter is like um if you, if you ever recall, if you, has anyone ever read about like the history of football when it used to be one village against another village? And it was like just basically there was no rules They would just have a ball and that was the rules. Like that was it. No one knew what was happening. And so someone over here would do a step over and just get hit with a spade. You know, it was just like that was that was football. That's Twitter. That is what Twitter is like. Twitter is just no rules. It's an argument between the entire world that goes on forever. And nobody knows who's winning. But it's all good fun. That is what a lot of our society is like. The news cycle is like an upper. It's just constantly getting your mind spiked and emotionally driven upwards that you're sort of, you know, very tense and very angry about all this stuff. And and news is built to do this more broadly. Twitter's functionally like a news site, right? The newspapers, the news cycle, all all of that stuff. It's just just like an upper. And and then the other hand we have things that, that function as like downers. So you have like the entertainment sector and you've got, you know, uh, uh, social media apps that are, that are more like, you know, just, you know, doom scrolling, whatever they call it, just going through stuff constantly. Uh, you know, where, where our tendency can be to sort of switch off from everything as well. And, and we end up often, I mean, a lot of people do this, right? They just end up balancing the two. They balance their uppers and their downers. They get all riled up about something and then they can't handle it. So then they just switch off and amuse themselves. And all of this, uh, by the way, once you 've done all of this, you 've not accomplished anything at all, right Oh what did you do today? That was good for the world? I sent a tweet fantastic right that's not it's not accomplished much and and, and it just we, we end up trying to balance the two. we end up trying to get you know we've got all this anger and riled up, riled up, and then we switch off and we, and we don't do anything, and we amuse ourselves to death. Are you with me Does that kind of make sense? yeah all of this. All of this stuff, our entire society is basically geared towards keeping our minds intoxicated, keeping our minds constantly going up, constantly going down, never focused, never actually planning, never looking ahead, never thinking clearly. And it's not like I'm against you know, entertainment, I'm not against being informed of the news, right? It's not that. But if that is our sole kind of intake, then we will be badly unprepared for a time of crisis. we will be badly unprepared for thinking clearly if our if our whole mind is just fueled by like the news cycle and social media on one side and then the latest Netflix series on the other side you 're not ready for a crisis you 're not ready to go through whatever you might have to go through. you know a, a, a lot of us there was prayer at the start um, before we before we came in here we had a prayer meeting and uh, there's a lot of people, you know, I don't, I don't want to go, go like too much into it. I don't want to get super graphic or anything. But the stuff that, that has happened last week, particularly in Israel, is absolutely horrific, yeah? Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, in some sense a, a crisis that is affecting our globe. You know, when it was the horrific images coming out from it. And we absolutely, as a church, we need to mourn with those who mourn. We need to feel it. But we also do need to think clearly. Like, like it's really important that people think clearly, that politicians at this time think clearly. And the default can be that we're going to get into sort of irrationality and we just go, right, just wipe everyone out. And and that is not the kingdom of God, right? It, it isn't, okay? I'm not saying there's no appropriate response here. There is definitely an appropriate response. And I think that, broadly speaking, Israel has historically actually done that very well. Israel has been very good at trying to prioritize saving the life of civilians in a situation that's very difficult. But what we don't want to do is get like, dragged into World War III. There are major politicians in America saying, wait, let's bomb Iran. And it's like, no, let's not. Like, like let's not do that. That would be wrong. There are millions of people in Gaza we, we disagree strongly with the religious ideology, but there are millions of people there who are not directly involved and we want them to be safe and we want them to know, to know Jesus. We also, by the way, want a, a nation state to be able to defend itself perfectly reasonably and not have this happen again. We need to be sober-minded. We, the church needs to be sober-minded in this. The church needs to be a prophetic voice of clarity in the midst of times like this. We, need, we, we absolutely need to stand for what's true we need to stand for what's good, but we don't need to blow up everything in sight. And we don't need to be for that. We need to be cautious about how we act in times of crisis. That's true, true for us, true in our world, and true for you, right? Sober thoughts, being sober-minded matters in times of crisis. What you cannot do whenever something hits you out of the blue is just allow the sort of rational brain to switch off and your animalistic brain to switch on. The Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible, the Bible says that we need to think before we act. We need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. The best soldiers in times of battle are not those who are just riled up. They are those who are calm. They're those who are ready. They're those who know the next steps to take. And that's, that's what we need to be in times of crisis. All right, point three. It says here, and this is, this is sort of almost the whole rest of the passage, But it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to talk about obedience and holiness. So set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is talking about set your hope on the return of Jesus. And that motivates then our holiness in crisis. Some weeks are dark in our world. I think we've just had a really dark week. In our, in our world, like we really have, um, and not, not just Israel, um, I don't know how many of you have followed what's happening in Armenia, for instance, uh, there's been, been an invasion there into an area by, so we've got Azerbaijan next door, Islamic nation, you have Christian nation in Armenia, there's been Christianity in this area of Armenia for 1700 years, 120,000 people have been essentially ethnically cleansed, forced to move out from this area, um, I, you know and they 've been there for seventeen hundred years that's that 's a dark week. We saw dark stuff in western cities being chanted in our streets, like evil stuff that that has not been heard since World War two with thousands of people that that you know are, are, are chanting for death and, and chanting to exterminate the jews it 's like what is going on? like it 's dark there are dark times. And where is our hope in a dark time? Where, where do we go, right? Where, where do we go when things... Because let's be honest, we don't know what the future of our nation looks like. You know, there's, this is a massive demographic shift. This is a massive ideological shift. It, it, it's not good. Like, I'm not, I'm, we're not downplaying this. Where is our hope in times like that? Well, firstly, of course, there's a sense in which we, we should, as the church, be hoping and believing and praying that there would be turnaround. We are hoping for like a national, global revival. We are praying for that. We are praying and believing that our nation will wake up, that the people of God will stand up once again, that we will actually speak out, that we will actually seek to reach the lost once again. Like We are hoping for that, yes? In a time like that, we are hoping for that. But can I just tell you this? That hope, I don't think that's a guaranteed hope, at least not in our lifetime. I don't know how this is going to play out over the next few decades. Like, like I, and you know, We don't have a sort of, this is exactly what it will look like. like. It could go wrong in lots of ways. Things have gone badly in history. And they could go badly again. It, it could happen, right? But biblical hope, biblical hope is more than a sort of loose hope. Like we sort of think of hope as being like a positive idea of what the future might be. And, and I understand that. That's, that's how we often use hope. The biblical idea of hope is more than that, though. The biblical idea of hope is something that is guaranteed, but which is not yet. An analogy I've heard used is like, it's like having a ton of money in your bank account, but you haven't withdrawn it yet. You know it's in there. You go, you're go, you walking up to the bank machine with your bank card. You know the money's in there. It's a hope, but it's a sure hope. You know there's stuff there. And for us... When, when the Bible says that our hope is in the return of Jesus, it is stronger merely than the hope of something good happening in our lifetime. The hope that we have, the hope that we need to be fixed on in dark times, is not just this is going to work itself all out. We can believe for that. We can go after that. We can have faith for that. Absolutely. But our hope is more secure than that. Our hope is more confident than that. Our hope is a guaranteed hope. And it is the hope that even in dark times, even in evil times, Jesus will win. Jesus will win. Jesus will defeat the enemy. In fact, Jesus has already struck the death blow. He struck it on Calvary. He has promised that he is coming again. That is not a promise that is dependent on anything else. That is a promise that is guaranteed. Jesus is coming back. Every persecutor will meet justice. They will meet it either at the cross of Christ or they will meet it at the judgment seat of Christ. But they will meet it. Every tear will be wiped away. It will be wiped away through Jesus. What is our confidence in times like this? Our confidence is that Jesus wins. Jesus has already won. And he's coming back when he will fulfill the ultimate victory. We believe in that. Our hope is in that. And so how do we build our response to a dark time? We build our response through that lens, the lens of eternal impact. Now that does not mean that we negate like short term, here's what we need to do, we need to figure some stuff out, right? But, but the macro thing, right? If we're saying, what should the church be thinking in a time like this? Let me, let me tell you the number one question that we should be thinking in a time like this with an eternal perspective. How do we reach the Islamic world and the secular West once again for Jesus? How do how do we how do we win through the gospel? How, how do we win not not by simply you know, some political victory that will be short lived? How do we win by the gospel transforming hearts, transforming minds, absolutely you know, turning nations right side up? How, how, do we, how do we bring that into our world once again where people finally have a conscience that is cleansed by the Word of God? How, how, do, how do we reach people that are dark and follow false gods? Because you know what? Our nation used to be exactly like that. We used to be a bunch of idolatrous, child-sacrificing pagans. And God transformed this nation. And if He can do it here, He can do it in the Islamic world again. And He can do it in the secular West again. It can be done. And that is the eternal perspective. How do we bring that victory of Jesus into our day? How do we work in light of that? And not just, by the way, so that we get a better future, but so that we go into glory with the nations coming in behind. We go into glory with fruit. We go into glory with souls. We go into glory, and there's some people there that we know and that we've been involved in bringing them to Jesus. That is our ultimate response. And so that eternal perspective, by the way, it impacts how we go through a crisis, right? There's this talk, uh, again, as, as the verses continue, about being holy. One of the real temptations in a time of crisis is to try and sin your way out of it. Like, it could, just, just the default reaction is, right, how can I get out of this? I will do anything to get out of this. You know, so, someone has a go at you, you lash out in return. Someone wrongs you. Well, you, you go and gossip about it to someone else. You, you sin your way out but but an eternal perspective doesn't actually permit that. An eternal perspective actually demands holiness because you're working not just to fix the situation, you're working for an eternal reward in the midst of that situation. I'll, I'll tell you one last story here. I um, I've done a number of like church roles in different environments, and there was one in particular that ended in a way that was like quite unjust. It, it just it just it wasn't it wasn't good. Uh, I was un- unjust towards me, and I didn't really feel I'd done anything wrong. And in conversations with other people, they they, they agreed. Even people on the other side of this had agreed that I hadn't done something wrong. But it just it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a, a good situation, right? And and I remember feeling at that point in time that the number one responsibility I had was to not strike out at the church involved. I I just felt I had to shut up basically and not say anything. I, I felt that that was important. I felt that it was important not to say anything publicly about it that would divide that church because I hadn't built that church and I, I'm not going to be the one to to knock it down or have a go. It wasn't wasn't my position. wasn't my thing to do. Uh, I you know I talk about it privately. It's not like I'm covering it up or anything like that. But but just you know wouldn't wouldn't talk about it in that environment. I remember. Send to Danny. I think that's that's what we have to do. And can I be honest? Like that's that's hard, and that's actually been hard. Multiple. It's not just wasn't just hard at the time, and hard since. I I, I you know. So I do some YouTube stuff, right? Okay. So some somebody knew that. I, I had a great idea for a video involving telling that story. I was like, oh, this this could go like super viral, you know. I was like, you know, get a book deal out of it, you know, that kind of thing. I wouldn't have got a book deal out of it, but you know, in my head, it could have gone there. I remember saying to Danny, and Danny was like, yeah, do you not remember when you said like your number one thing that you had to do in all of this was not say anything? I was like, stop being so flippin' holy, woman, like, so, let me sin, I'm trying to sin here, okay, help me, but, but I believe that that was important, and I actually believe something, I genuinely do believe this, times of crisis, I, I think they're often key moments for your eternal reward. Like I believe that part of my eternal reward is going to be connected to how I handle that situation, how I continue to handle that. If you imagine, right, you could be living a normal Christian life. People walk in, you know, it's, you know, right. You get that gun to your head, hypothetical moment, you know. Follow Jesus, and and you know, if you don't renounce Jesus, you'll die, right? That's a big moment for your eternal reward, right there. I don't know where. At times of crisis are like that. They're they are like tests. They are moments where where, where it's like right. You're going to get a chance to build something for eternity here that you weren't expecting the chance to build, and how you handle it will matter. And it absolutely does matter. And so in times of crisis, that's what we need to be thinking. We need to be thinking, what is the eternal perspective? Not just how do I get out of it. How do I get out of this with an eternal reward? How do I get something that I bring into glory with me? There are chances to show, do you really believe? Do you you believe in this heaven thing for real? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back for real? Are you confident in that? Do you believe that he will work it all together for your good? Do you really trust him? That is what crises do. And they're an opportunity for us to fix our hope on heaven once again. How do we do that? We prepare in advance. We be sober-minded. And we focus on eternity. Amen.